0: Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast. I am Jason Romano. Welcome to episode number five. We hope you enjoyed our last episode, episode four, featuring the incredible story of Mo Isom, the former LSU All-American goalkeeper in soccer, now speaker, author, wife, mom. She's Awesome. And if you missed her incredible story and testimony, you need to do yourself a favor and go back and listen. It was one of the most powerful stories of strength and courage that you will ever hear. And as always, you can subscribe and download the podcast, rate us on iTunes, that little rating. Gosh, it helps the word get out on the podcast so much that iTunes rating. So, if you could go and leave a rating, let people know what you think of the podcast. We're trying to bring these inspirational stories to as many people as possible. So, the rating does help. And we're hoping you're liking the guests that we've had on and the topics that we've discussed. But if you have an idea on a guest, a topic, anything that you think would make this podcast better, please reach out to us. Email me directly. I'm at Jason Romano22 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And let's make this podcast uh, as great as it can be for God. That's really the goal here in, in sharing these stories. Now, today's podcast is a lot of fun. I think you'll like it. It's two brothers. Now, I grew up with two brothers. I'm one of three. My other brothers, Chris and Damian, were as close as ever now. I'm the oldest. But growing up, man, we were at each other's throats, competing for time, competing for attention, competing on and off the athletic field, And I just know what it's like to have brothers uh, and grow up with brothers. And today's guests, I think you'll like them, Emmanuel and Sam Acho. Now, they are brothers who played together not only in high school, in college, at the University of Texas, but then both achieving the dream of making it to the National Football League, to the NFL. And they are two of the most fun, two of the smartest and most interesting people I've been around in sports. I've known them for a while. I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. Here is Episode 5, Emmanuel and Sam Acho. Welcome, guys to be here. Yeah, moving on to your next
0: career, huh, Manuel?
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm excited about Broadcasting. it. Broadcasting. You worked with the Longhorn Network this
0: past year. How'd yeah, that go for you? Yeah, I did a little bit of everything. Work with the Longhorn Network. I did a show for the Dallas Cowboys called Cover 4. I did a show on Fox 7 in Austin um, called Good Day Austin, but we coined it Mondays with Manny. Monday's with Manny uh, Monday's with Manny You know what I mean? One I, days do people enough. call he you Manny? <laughs> he, he doesn't
2: need all week Do people call day.
0: you Manny? Should uh, I call you Manny? Manny is it's much more catchy Okay I feel like it's much easier to build like a show title around Yeah right? Otherwise what evenings with a manual It just doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue but, um, but yeah it was fun it
1: was Good a fun that's awesome and Sam NFL linebacker Had a good career how's things going?
2: Yeah, things are going good. good. Uh, finished up six years, four in, four in Arizona, two in Chicago.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's been good. Looking forward to uh,
1: what God has in the future. That's awesome, man. That's great. Are you married with a kid? Yeah. How's married, life as a married man? Yeah.
2: yeah. So married, uh, it'll be going on three years. It'll yeah. be three years on the 15th of March. And then we got two kids. Uh, my son, Caleb, is two. And then our daughter, Sophia, is uh, Four months old.
1: Oh, man. How's that going for you?
2: It's different. It's different. People always say uh, that two is a game changer, and it really is. Uh, but it's been great. We've had family around to help out with the kids. And you know how it is. It's not easy,
1: but yeah. it's so it's so worth it. How's Uncle Manny treating, the, treating his nephew <laughs> well, and niece? he,
2: he, and, uh, he Caleb. a good amount of gifts? <laughs> What's happening here? I will say here? this. Like, he and Caleb do have a nice little handshake. Caleb's too. Yeah. They got this little handshake that they do, which That's I cool. respect.
0: Me and the two-year-old have our own little handshake. He, he has a name.
2: Caleb. His name is Caleb, yeah. not a two-year-old. <laughs> the two-year-old. The two-year-old. Yeah. But I will say this, though. So Emmanuel's kind of like a neat freak yeah. know, a little bit. And so we go to his house. And he have not seen Caleb probably in three, four, I don't know how many, a couple months. Go to his house. He just bought a house in Austin. Very nice, house. brand new. Yeah. yeah, it's not brand new. It's just relatively new, uh, new
0: build. Yeah, like but you've it's been living, like he'd, three months. He's been
2: living there for a while already. <laughs> and anyways, go to his house. He so graciously lets us spend the night. That's so amazing. So yeah. single okay. guy brother, with brother. Come on over. And I'm not even, I'm out of town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what, he's not even right? there. Oh, so like he's not even <laughs> there. And he so graciously lets us spend the night. And anyways, no, I'm talking <laughs> about when you were there, not when you weren't. I'm talking when you came back. So we walk in and, you know, sit long drive, drove from Dallas, three hour drive with Mm -hmm. the kids and you know how it is. Get to his house, you know, open up the door, take a seat. And I'm sitting down, Caleb's sitting down and Emmanuel walks downstairs and, you know, before even giving any handshakes, hugs or anything, he immediately takes Caleb's feet off of the couch the oh, brand new couch all man, white whatever white it is climbed the couch That's gives like him that. just a little handshake mm-hmm. we go upstairs i like, come to find out he actually was like wiping off the little the brand, there was no dust but he claims that there was dust on the couch. So, anyways, that's how wow. he welcomed us. Uncle I Manny. feel like being a
0: homeowner or a, a new homeowner, homeowner is like being like a new parent. Why didn't you right? just go full plastic that's what all I'm over the saying, couch? Man. It's, you it's, know, it's, it's kind of like, as you well. know, when you're a new parent, you see the people <laughs> that make you get vaccines before they come see the baby, always <laughs> making you hand sanitized. Same thing when you're a new homeowner, man. It's like, oh, any little piece of dust.
2: So, are you going to yeah. sell your babies like you sell your home?
0: Wow. That's a great question. Wow. I'm I don't like that
1: <laughs> Hopefully we don't have to answer that question for a little while, so I want to talk to you guys about a lot of different things here. The first thing is I want to kind of go back to your childhood. What was your childhood like growing up, not just from an athletic standpoint? Obviously, you both made it to the NFL. That's a great achievement for a family to see two uh, boys make it to the NFL. But your faith and kind of where that started. I know that was a lot. That was grounded fairly early with you. We'll start with Sam. Talk about your childhood and growing up as a young Acho boy.
2: Yeah, so childhood was uh, – we grew up my- – my, my dad's a, our dad's a, a pastor. Okay, uh, he was a, a pastor in in Nigeria, came to the United States, and continued to preach. And we actually grew up uh, going to church at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. So Dr. Tony Evans, we were hearing him preach, and my dad, and and so we grew up going to that church. And our household was very much a Christian household, and so we knew uh, knew the Lord early on, and that faith as we continue to grow, continue to become our own.
1: Okay, Emmanuel.
0: Yeah, I think growing up early on, it was kind of high standards being a pastor's kid. Everybody kind of puts that in quotes. What does that encompass? What does that really mean? The PK. Right. You're a PK. You're a pastor's kid. Um, There are high expectations. Um, But early on, I think for me, it just set the foundation for what my life is built upon and predicated upon. It didn't really play out or manifest itself until much later in college when those principles that you learned as a child, now you really need to put them into practice. But it, it definitely set the bar high and it set a foundation um, of which I could kind of live my life.
1: Was there ever a moment, and we both can chime in, like in your high school years or whatever, where either you were tempted or pulled and you kind of swayed or maybe strayed from your faith at all or just felt like a, that might that could happen? Is that ever, or were you pretty? You guys were pretty well grounded. I would say
0: probably pretty straight and narrow. Yeah. Um, I went to a private school. I graduated with a 75. We went to the same private school called St. Mark's in Dallas, Texas. So, unlike big public schools where you're graduating with, you know, more like 750, there are less opportunities for evil just because there's less student body. Um, And then with that, just was so busy. I mean, playing sports and doing all this. And then our parents did a good job of keeping us probably adequately sheltered. Mm. You know, or pros and cons to keeping your kids sheltered, but keeping us adequately sheltered um, to the point where not giving us too much room for
1: air. Give me a give me an example because I always talk to a lot of people who were PK kids about like you know, we can laugh at it hopefully, but like what were, weren't weren't you allowed to do that were like we were you allowed to watch certain shows or movies could you listen to like secular music i know some people who weren't allowed to listen to any secular music and they didn't discover like a band like the beatles until they were like 30 years old so what for you guys like was was it that way or like what were some of the things you you couldn't do
2: yeah i remember even just growing up because we have two older sisters and so they kind of paved the way for us but i remember uh, as far as music goes you know, because in Dallas, there's two hip hop stations. There's 97.9, The Beat, and then there's K104. Uh, and so anyways, I remember we'd be in the car and with my sisters, they'd be driving wherever if if it if my parents weren't around. And so we hop in the car with them, go to the grocery store, whatever we were doing, run errands, whatever we were doing. And they put it on K104, 97.9 and jamming, listening, whatever. And then we come back, and right before they park the car, they We're change it back, it back to, to ninety point nine <laughs> KCBI <laughs> yeah. Christian Radio, Love or something. Yeah, yeah, same put thing. It back. Yeah, and so, anyways, I, I learned that at a young age. I was like, okay, so because it wasn't like a rule. Hey, no rap music, no. Say, it, it, yeah. it wasn't said. It was almost like an unwritten rule. So yeah. as I started doing my thing, I, I would, I, I would do the same thing, but I'm sitting here like. Why does it matter? Like, who cares? But I just,
1: they did it. I did it. And so. So then all of a sudden you're humming a Snoop Dogg song (laughs) in your house and like, where did you hear
0: that? There were a bunch of more unwritten rules. Okay. Um, Like, for example. For example, what Sam's talking about. Like, nobody ever said, don't listen to secular Mm. music. But it was kind of like, uh-oh. Only listen to secular music, like, if the parents aren't around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even, or,
2: like, dating stuff. Like, it was, like, our the, the deal, like, you know, you date, don't date until you're married. That was, like, so in high school, like, prom, stuff like that. I remember, hmm. like, having a, I, I think my my sister, my oldest sister, didn't go to prom. I don't think so, yeah. The other one, this other sister, did she go? I remember one of them went, and then my dad showed her something. Yeah, I know.
0: I didn't go to Homecoming. Homecoming. Until my dad. Junior or senior year And you Mm -hmm. can go from freshman year at our school um, Didn't go to like Really, a lot of the main social events, mm-hmm. dances, like, curfew, that didn't exist in the outro House. It was like, we didn't really go out. Right. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. curfew. That was unheard of until, like, senior year.
2: I remember, I went yeah, senior year, I went to Homecoming. Was, I was a nominee for Homecoming King. That was, like, my excuse. Like, yeah, hey, won. and I won, yeah, I won Homecoming King. That was is. my first year ever going to Homecoming. And even the whole, like, asking a date to kind of do, it was awkward. like, what is it? It was very awkward. Putting a tuxedo on all that. Yeah, oh, I mean, not even because we, you know, wear suits, all that kind of stuff, but even sure. the whole, like... Like, hey, want to go to your date's house and, and ask them to? And
0: then go to dinner? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's
2: like, no, you yeah, not going to dinner?
1: I don't know what this thing is all about. Yeah. that's great. Well, let's talk about you know your high school. You talked about you guys are always you know in sports. You obviously athletic. You're obviously successful because you make it to te- to Texas, both of you, and you play college football. Sam, you reach Texas first, I believe. Emmanuel follows behind, and then you guys are there together playing for the national championship. Like, that's pretty awesome, and an accomplishment as brothers playing on the same team. What's college like at Texas? Well, some of the cool stuff just about our relationship
2: is that like any brothers, you're super tight, but also you have your times of uh, you hate each other, you want to kill each other. Absolutely, so, I know so that. I never one. wanted
0: to kill. Oh, oh, I got two exactly. brothers. I, I never oh. wanted to kill my brother. You brothers can call either, me bro.
2: Abel then. and yeah. You can call him. She, Abel. I wanted to kill. <laughs> he, the way he texts people now, like he wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, well, put it better yet, couldn't stand. I couldn't stand. Sure, we where? go. Of oh, course. You yes. we drive each other uh, nuts. I appreciate that. Uh, and so, but growing up, even growing up, even before getting to college and playing in the national championship. We'd, be, we'd always compete against each other or more, most likely with each other. So from the second or third grade, six, seven, eight years old, we're playing on the same basketball team, the mm-hmm. Tornadoes, and our team was, I don't think we lost more than like five games in our huh? six, seven-year run. Right. 20, 20, yeah, we had a run. We
0: weren't a dynasty. We
2: were a dynasty. No, we were a dynasty. <laughs> we didn't lose. Only the first time we lost, no, straight up, we were a dynasty. Okay. It was me and Manuel's guy named Ryan Brennan. Yeah. We were a dynasty. Uh, and so, How many games did you lose in high school? In basketball or in football, wherever you want to call your dynasty. In, well, I'm talking about a second grade dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I My mean, dynasty dynasty from like grade. eight to like. It 13. ended when okay. we got. Dynasty dynasty dynasty. when we <laughs> got <the dynasty>. <laughs> <Now> <laughs> no, we we to high school I we had to learn how to lose. But we'd always just played sports <laughs> together. We always, just, I mean, so like, so we just had this chemistry. I remember we played up basketball after yeah. school, and we'd, if we were on the same team, we never lost. We'd almost know where each other was, were go, was going. And then if we were on opposite teams, it was like a war. It's because I didn't want to lose. He didn't want to lose. And, and we you knew the, each other's tendencies. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I don't know if we even guarded each other. And I think we actually guarded somebody else just because it was like it would have been a fight. So that relationship took us to uh, college. Yeah. And our relationship even got tighter that one because we're one grade apart. And that relationship got tighter when I left for college. So I left for UT and he was still in high school. Mm. That was the first time since, we, since inception, since our birth, that we had not been together, whether football team or basketball team or track and field whatever baseball all the sports soccer that was the first time and so um right before college at 16 17 years old he and i weren't really tied at least in my perspective because he we're just didn't stand each other i couldn't stand him and uh he probably couldn't stand me But then got to college. You'll have your chance to tell yourself.
1: (laughs) He's waiting. He's patient here. He's good. That's a virtue of
2: of the Lord, you know. It is, it is. I got to college and he was still in high school and I almost saw this whole new world without my brother. And it felt uh, not empty, but I felt like I was missing something. So I just wanted to impart as much wisdom and knowledge, even gear. Like he, our, our college in, in high school, were blue and gold, mm. and I went to Texas. We Went to Texas was burnt orange. He'd be
0: rocking burnt orange Does not sleeves match. in hindsight. Match. Yeah, the tackiest thing I think I've ever right. done in my life. But it, it grew. So it,
2: it made us tighter, and that took us all the way to college and, and playing together.
1: So Emmanuel, <laughs> let's talk about that one year first before you end up at Texas. You're a senior in high school, and you're the man, and you're brother is at texas like what was that like for you first time
0: your brother's away and you're playing football without him yeah honestly at this point it's kind of a blur you know like i don't i don't really remember college high school i remember us playing together i remember only one play i blocked a punt he recovered it and scored um in houston that's like the one thing i remember Hmm. then i just remember trying to chase a bunch of the accolades that he had already built for example you know he had the shot put and discus record in track. He was the athlete of the year in our high school. He won that award. He was a homecoming king. So going into my senior year, I was committed to Texas. I didn't really care need to get into college. I was good there. Um, so I really only wanted to be, you know, homecoming king, athlete of the year, break some records. Um, as far as football, I don't really rem- it, It's all like a blur now. Hmm. But when he left, it was more so just, OK, this is a bar that he set. Go get it.
1: And then your decision to go to Texas—is that an easy
2: decision? Not at all.
0: So I didn't want to go to Texas.
1: Um, I wanted to, go
2: turn, to No, he turned Mac Brown down. He told yeah. Mac Brown no. He told yeah, no. Mac Brown no. <laughs> what
0: are you thinking? I, tell me I, that story. I didn't want to follow in Sam's footsteps. I would kind of had enough, and it, I didn't even. There was no, uh, you know, will. ill will. There was no kind of anger, or whatever. I just. I was cool. I wanted to go to Michigan. I wanted to go to Auburn. You know, I remember my brother's senior year in high school. We played our crosstown rival in basketball. And any time I got the ball, they would chant, shadow, shadow. <laughs> and I didn't really care, but I was just like, yeah, let me just go ball somewhere else. So Mac Brown offers me in his office. He sits me down. I'm looking at my brother to my left, my mom and dad. Mac Brown says, you ready to commit? And I just sit there. Mm. Staring at him, and Max like, well, clearly you're not ready. Take some time. I was like, did he hear the question? <laughs> he hear, you know, does he so, know who he's talking to? Yeah. <laughs> so I think about it, and a week later, I'm like, cool, let's do this thing. Yeah, and then I okay.
1: end up in Texas. Interesting. So let's go to Texas. You guys, obviously, a lot of success in 2009. You reached the pinnacle, undefeated season, playing the biggest stage, BCS national championship game against Alabama. What was that season like? From not only a success standpoint you don't lose a game until the last one but being brothers in being part of that together
0: yeah I mean I wish I could do it all over again because again for some reason I really don't I didn't appreciate it enough like I, I don't really remember much of playing like with Sam I remember that season vividly I remember that not to be overly spiritual, but God really was moving that year. That was the year Colt McCoy was our quarterback, one of the strongest men in the faith that I know. So Um, expand on that a little bit. So many people know Colt. He gets hurt in that national championship game. He was the winningest quarterback in college football history um, for a year or two until Kellen Moore, I think, won one more game at Boise State. But Colt gets hurt in a game that we were winning, national championship game, the pinnacle of college football. And he said, I don't know why this happened. Um, I really don't know how this happened. All I know is that on the solid rock I stand. But that statement is when we all knew, like, why we were where we were. Hmm. And ultimately, that was a year in which um, the spirit was really just moving through our team. And again, I'm by no means getting overly spiritual or just saying this because it sounds good. But our center at the time, he was an All-American. He didn't go to the NFL draft to pursue ministry. Colt, he was a leader on our team. um, And he was a solid believer. And it was a team, it was a chemistry and a camaraderie that I haven't experienced since. Wow. It,
2: it was a thing where even, like, you know, have FCA, Fellowship super Christian Athletes, and I remember my first year getting there before Emmanuel got there. You know, we, have our, we held FCA in our team meeting room, about 100 and 120 seats or so. And my first year, my half, and this FCA across all sports, football, basketball, volleyball, women's volleyball, soccer, all sports, golf, swimming and diving, um, and there were maybe 15, 20 people would show up across all the sports at the University of Texas, 50,000 students, right? Uh, and I don't know how many athletes. Then after, year by year, you know, the year that Emmanuel gets there, and then the next year leading up to the national championship, it got to a point where the 120-seat meeting room was full. Wow. Wow. Was yeah. full. That's awesome. And it got to a point where, like, talking about church, we play on Saturdays, and we found a church in Austin we would go to called the Austin Stone, and Started off maybe two, three guys go to church on Sundays, right, after a game on Saturday. Next you know, we're bringing 20 and 30 guys wow. from the team to church. So it was a great it was, experience. It was, it was radical, man. S-
1: something yeah. happened there. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the journey to the NFL. So you both make it to the NFL. I mentioned earlier in the introduction, Sam, a fourth-round pick in 2011. A year later, Emmanuel, you get drafted in 2012 in the sixth round to the Browns. Describe your experiences in coming to the NFL. We'll start with Sam first. Like when you get to the NFL, what was that like from uh, from a talent perspective and having to compete, but from also a spiritual perspective? You know, suddenly you're in a locker room, and this is—I don't know what the difference is from college to the NFL, but my guess is there's a lot of differences there.
2: Well, growing up, Emmanuel and I were very different as far as our goals and pursuits, at least the way we viewed them, mm-hmm. and you can. Chime in and correct me if I'm wrong, but so I was a guy where, as a kid, Saturday, Saturday mornings, right? Saturday all day during college football season, right? I'm waking up and I'm putting it on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm watching cartoons, <laughs> like, straight up, all day. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Might be a game on. Okay, let me find, like, recess. Like the the I'm watching cartoons. I remember. Yeah. He's a guy who, he's watching not only the games, he's going online and watching, like, highlights of Ray Lewis. Okay. I want to be the best linebacker in the NFL. And I'm sitting here like, what does the NFL stand for? <laughs> like, that was, like, my, I'm, no joke. Not for long. Yeah, not for, not for long, yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, I, so even that idea or thought of playing the NFL for me though we grew up in the same household similar genes, all that kind of stuff it was never a goal or a dream until I got to college and until we went to that national championship and I got a chance to see what could be mm. uh, but for Emmanuel it was more of like man I'm from fifth grade I don't know when he was like he wore number 34 because of Walter Payton at that age I didn't know who Walter Payton was yeah and I couldn't I wouldn't could have cared less I didn't really I was I was he was retired by the time you guys were even born. Right, yeah. right. And so and so, uh, getting to the NFL, was, it became a dream, and then it became a, a dream come true just because I knew so many guys who uh, wanted to be there, and uh, I just saw God open up so many doors for, even me, for me to even get there. And so once I got there, it just became something where all right, I want to glorify God in everything. And so I had some uh, older players who I talked to before I got drafted, because I was quite frankly I was scared. I was I didn't know yeah. if the money was going to change me or the fame or successes. That's what everybody said. They said, "Hey, don't let the money change you. Don't don't get to the NFL and just you know be the Be who you are. I love, love who you are." So like, I don't know if it's going to make me a different guy yeah. or not. I I'm nineteen, twenty, twenty, twenty one years old. I'm yeah. supposed to know. And so uh, one of the guys, uh, his name is Rudy, Rudy Nicewanger, He's actually here, and he told me this. Before I got drafted, he said, "Man, money—all that money isn't fame. It's just a magnifier. Hmm. You no, know, it's gonna if you were if you were it's gonna make bigger what you were doing before, whether evil or good. And so um, you got nothing to worry about. Just make sure your heart's in the right place. And so that was my mindset in the NFL.
1: Wow, Emmanuel, how about your your set? When you arrive in the NFL, drafted by the Browns, and then you you go and move on to the Eagles, and you've kind of had stints with the Eagles, Browns, and Giants. Like you come into the NFL, what's that experience like for you? Culture shock?" what you expected what was that like
0: it was a little easier for me because i i told everybody i had the cheat codes to the test you know my brother did everything the year before i did it it's um, true nfl combine he had done it the draft he had done it transitioning he had done it so he really told me what to expect how to expect it how to go about everything not as much of a culture shock for me i mean i had to figure out who i was i had to figure out how to fit in I'm with a a locker room full of grown men. You know, I I never kind of doubted that I could play, but it was just, you know, when you go in the sixth round, all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. But I was a man at Texas. I was one of the best in college. And now I'm a sixth round pick to the Browns at that. Like, am I good enough? But the transition for me wasn't too bad. I mean, I, I found a great group of guys. Again, Colt McCoy was now the quarterback in the Cleveland Browns, who was my old quarterback in college. Um, and so he took me in. We had a guy like named Ben Watson. He was there as well. Um, so we had great veteran leadership, and um, I was in a draft class of 10 people, and so all us rookies just were figuring it out together, just kind of the blind leading the blind. Um, but it wasn't too, too tough for me. Interesting.
1: All right. Well, so let's talk about you're in the NFL, and you're established in the NFL for a year or two here, and... You've been around the culture, you've been around the locker rooms, you've played on the field, and now you're believers in Christ trying to live out that faith as an NFL player. Talk about, the, talk about if you've ever had any struggles or trying to just, what was that like being an outspoken? Because you both are fairly outspoken. You're not walking around with Bibles and beating people over the head with it, but people know where you stand. Talk about being a Christian in the NFL locker room.
2: The the cool part about being in an NFL locker room is that people get to see your lives day in Mm. and day out. There's no hiding and there's no pretending. Um, So one thing about trying to share the gospel or even trying to even stand in front of a group of men that knows you and knows you well is that you can't fake it. You just can't. I remember being a rookie and uh, got a chance to play a little bit and start and had a great season. Uh, and each week before every home game, or even before every every game, the coach would have a different player come up and speak in front of the team, just talk about whatever you want to talk about. And towards, towards the end of the season, I was one of the players. And you know, I love to speak, but being in front of a, a group of men like that, it was, uh, it was revealing. But the cool thing about it was that they already knew me. So they knew that what I said held weight because they knew it matched my character. Same way with my face. So when I talked to guys about about Christ and what he can do and about my faith in Christ before they even hear me, they already look at the example that I've set. They look at the way I've lived my life. And so uh, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. And so that, that's how, that's almost the benefit of uh, following Christ is that if people see your walk and they see you, when things go bad, you're still giving God the glory. When things are good, you're still giving them the glory. Um, they see you being real open and honest with them. When people see that, And then you speak, it carries more weight. And that's what I've seen in my time in the NFL. Did you see that too, Emmanuel?
0: Yeah, I mean, what I really saw and realized and experienced was that if you just have confidence about what you're doing, people will respect it or be attracted to it. You know, you you, you are and you attract what you are. And so what I realized is, There are other believers in the NFL. They're just looking for somebody to be vocal, looking for somebody to take a stand so they can be like, "Okay, you're there, too. Um, So I finally realized, thankfully, again, in Cleveland, we probably had seven to 10 or so that were pretty strong believers. And so when I saw those guys, it was easy for me to be more vocal and more outspoken because I had guys that I could lean on. Mm-hmm. That so I wasn't alone. I wasn't isolated. When I went to Philly, it was much of the same. Then I had a guy like Nick Foles, a guy like Jason Avant, um, and then they moved on. And now all of a sudden, I was promoted into that role of being one of the spiritual leaders on the team. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I found if you just have boldness in whatever you're doing and have confidence in whatever you're doing, then people will respect you for it. But if you're timid, they'll question it.
1: I want to go one area that I wasn't planning on going, but we talked about this a little bit in the pre-interview, Sam, and talking, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The world, and in, in, in right now, is just changing. The landscape is changing. Government, politics, social media, you know, tragedies, things like that, where we're just all allowed to have a voice. And talk about, I want to ask you guys about navigating faith and race. And Emmanuel, you talked about this. You went to Uh, and spoke in Austin last year on this very topic. I just want you guys to share sort of your thoughts on being a believer in Christ, but at the same time talking about issues that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And they're difficult to to kind of walk that walk of just being a Christian, but at the same time acknowledging what's happening in the world right now.
0: Yeah, for me, the hardest part isn't whether I want or don't want to talk about it. It's everybody is so sensitive in this day and age, and you have to tread so so lightly with your words, even to the point where you can say something that is truthful, biblically truthful, um, yet still politically incorrect. So, how do you navigate, especially when you're in the NFL or when you're a TV personality that's you know working for a major corporation? You can say something that is very much so truthful. I remember um, after after the whole Bruce to Caitlyn Jenner um, thing, I, I yes. simply tweeted, like, they're already... It's unfortunate because the world is already lacking enough, like, real strong men. And mm. I caught backlash for that. I really was only disheartened because we already don't have enough father figures as there are. I was just heartbroken that we had lost one Mm. backlash. Right. Um, You know, so I I put together that panel you're referring to in Austin, kind of on race and faith and police brutality. Yeah. The hard part for me isn't speaking up. it's, It's finding the balance between as a believer in Christ, I know I'm supposed to take a stand and say something, but this same stand I take can get me fired. Mm hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's tough to navigate, but nonetheless, you know the truth. You can't shy away from.
1: Yeah, and Sam, you're currently in the NFL. What are your thoughts on that? And you know, you're you're pretty active on social media, and you're not shy and afraid to voice your opinion on things. But how do you how do you walk that walk?
2: <clears throat> One thing I never want to be or never want to do is just be a guy who just uh, just goes out and just posts a tweet and thinks that. That that's action, or even to a certain extent, just writes a blog post and thinks that that's action, Um, or the opposite of that. Not let's say I don't write a tweet, and some people may think that's inaction, or don't write a blog post, right? I want to like we're called to be the hands and feet, and even talking about it, right? Could be if I'm not doing something, this could easily be hypocritical, you know. Um, So we're called. I'm called as a Christian. To speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, as the Proverbs talks about, for the rights of all who are destitute, to speak up and to judge fairly, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's scripture. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's my that's my job. That's my job. Yeah. And so whatever that looks like, whether it's on social media, uh, whether it's on my, on my blog whether it's in a locker room in a one on one conversation, whether it's going to these places uh, with these people that can't speak up for themselves. um, That's my job as a Christian. And I can't call myself a Christian if I'm not being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so that's how I respond. I respond by doing. I respond by acting. I respond by uh, emoting with these people and not just saying, oh, it's not my problem. No, it is my problem
1: that's powerful man that's really powerful last question i've been asking i've been asking this on the podcast to every person this is the last question i ask what is god teaching you right now emmanuel start with you what
0: god is he teaching you he's honestly i've been wrestling with this since i took the job um with espn kind of broadcasting it's is my does my work mean anything um, i'm Talking right now, kind of as a college football analyst, and that's cool and that's fun, but how does that glorify God? And God is truly teaching and has taught me that by doing what I'm doing to the best of my abilities, He has skilled me in a way to entertain. Um, By doing what I am doing to the best of my abilities, that is still bringing Him glory because I'm doing what He has made me and created me and skilled me to do. so he's teaching me that and he's also teaching me, don't just use your skill set in the secular world and the secular bubble, but also use your skill set um, to, to spread his name. So that is what I'm truly learning, thankfully, because I've been wrestling with it for some months now. Mm. Sam.
2: He, God teaches me to be obedient. Mm-hmm. he teaches me how to be obedient. So many times I s- struggle or I just don't listen to the s- to the leadings of the spirit um, or even to scripture, doing something I know to be right or may seem foolish, but I know this is what the the spirit's leading and I won't listen because I don't feel like it or it doesn't make any sense. Then, you know, we'll fast forward and I'll say, man, I wish I would have, like, this is why God wanted me to do that. This is why he wanted me to sit there and talk to that guy or not to go there and not to do that. And so he's just teaching me how to be obedient. He's showing me that when I obey him, I I don't need to, like, he doesn't need anything extra. Oftentimes, I try to be extra. I want to, you know, just want people—I want i love relationships. I love people. I really—that's like a joy of mine. So trying, man I want to get to know this guy and that guy. And God's like, I just need you to obey me. Just obey me, and I'll put the right people in front of you. So many things that I go after. Man, if I could only do this. If I just obey God, he'll put that in front of me. I got a chance to— um, this will be the last thing I say. Oh, it's the last question, so I saw. ask asked It's okay. <laughs> it's a podcast. Uh, <laughs> we got time. <laughs> but I remember, uh, so, I love, like, so I love getting to know people's stories, whether it's uh, in the locker room or, uh, you know, uh, influencers in the Christian world, or whatever, just hearing their stories. And I remember thinking, man, how great would it be to, like, sit down with a guy, like, like, propaganda, thinking all of what he's doing in, in not only with race, but with music and with culture. Right at the intersection, just like Lecrae and Tadashian and and all these guys, yep. right? And, um, and I've been thinking about that, just somebody like that, right? And so I remember going to L, uh, going to L.A., there was a, a deal we were doing with the NFL, NFLPA, and I also did a little like a commercial shoot with Spotify, right? So I'm thinking, okay, cool, I'm going to do this NFLPA trip, meet with Spotify for a couple hours, and we'll be good to go, right? So I do my first section of Spotify, and it goes great. And I'm thinking we're getting ready to leave. They're like, oh no, we got something set up for you. I got a meeting with you in propaganda. Wow. You're gonna get in the studio with him, we're gonna freestyle with him, talk music, talk culture. Talk. and I'm sitting here like, did y'all know that I because I don't tweet about that, I didn't write. I didn't do anything to say let anybody know that this somebody I wanna talk to you. Next thing you know they're like, yeah, we're coming, we're meeting at his studio say driving to a studio and we spent an hour and a half, we we're supposed to be talking about Spotify and music and how that works. We spent uh, literally 40 minutes talking just about like faith and mm-hmm. race and music and how it relates to being a Christian in, in these different spheres and it like we're, the interview is going great. And the producer has to stop us and say, hey, guys, this is like great material. But can we just like mention Spotify? Like just throw <laughs> in, like." <laughs> and so and, and since then, they've reached back out to me and said, man, we want to do something with this interview deal with prop. Wow. And so anyways, like I've just learned that when I obey God, yeah. I don't have to try.
1: Right. I don't have to try he just open up the doors and I just, I just walk through them. That's powerful, man. Yeah. Listen, this has been great. The Acho brothers, Sam and Emmanuel Acho. I've known you guys for a couple of years now and you're awesome. And I'm just grateful for you to ha- to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right, that was Sam and Emmanuel Acho on the Sports Spectrum podcast. We appreciate them coming on and sharing their story. You can reach Emmanuel and Sam on Twitter. They're both very active on social media. Emmanuel is at TheManAcho, which I think is funny. T H E M A N A C H O, TheManAcho. Sam is on Twitter at TheSamAcho, T H E S A M A C H O. On Twitter, the Sam Acho. So make sure you hit them up. Let them know uh, that you heard the podcast, and they're awesome people, awesome guys. So we're grateful and thankful that they came on the podcast. We are joined now by Raymond St. Martin, director of digital and media for the Increase and in Sports Spectrum. Raymond, what are your thoughts on listening to Sam and Emmanuel and sharing their story?
3: Man, it's so great to hear these two brothers, you know, being raised together, being close, but also. At the same time, kind of finding their own way in life. Although it, it seems funny that their own way would be playing on the same team, going to the same college, right. and then you know finding their way after that on on different NFL teams. Man, as I was listening to to that interview, and I was listening to them talk about their father and how they were raised, I kept flashing back to um, to Matt Holliday's life verse. Uh, anyone that has the Sports Specter magazine can look on the back, and on the back of the magazine, Matt Holloway um, shares with us his life verse about what it's like to be a teacher and what the responsibility is like. And so I just want to share this verse with the audience. This is the, the NIV version, First uh, Timothy, Timothy 1 through 5. Uh, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family... How can he take care of god's church, and that was just ringing out to me as I was listening to them speak because inside i was I was thinking of their father and how they were raised as a family, and how how important that is as a parent myself. I looked at my own children and I'm like thinking like are they following me are they are they listening how How am I leading them um and it was It was super um revealing. Um, as we all are working toward, you know, toward progressing in life, just to see how, how I could do even better, you know, with my own children and how I can, uh, when it says here, when it says, uh, see that his children obey him with proper respect, Mm. you know, what is proper respect? Yeah. What does that mean? It's like they, they obey me with proper respect, but then they obey the ultimate father with the ultimate respect you know how does that how does that even work jason as a father yourself how does that hit you
1: yeah i mean it's a model that we all want to sort of you know make into our own in our own lives but we fail every day <laughs> and i think <laughs> that scripture even just listening to you read it is a good reminder for me in fact i'm going i wrote it down and i'm going to go back and read it again because there's so much there not only as a dad to my daughter and wanting to you know, be the best example that I can be to her. But to model that in my own life towards my father in heaven, to God, to allow him to work through me so I can be the shining light to my daughter. So when she sees me, maybe she gets a little glimpse of what God is really like, you know, on Mm. this earth. And so that's what that does to me is it really just opens my eyes up to, trying to, not just trying to be a better dad, but trying to be a better example of Christ. Because I think if I'm being a better example of Christ to my daughter, then I am being a better dad. You know, I'm I'm being a better man. I'm being a better husband. So there's a lot of levels and a lot of layers to that, I think, that you can take away from it.
3: Absolutely. And I think as we got toward the end of the interview, it was amazing to also see how where they've truly found their identity and yeah. what they found their job to be. Like when they use the word job, my job is to be a Christian. Like you think of these jobs, like we get, you think their job is playing in the NFL. You think their job is, you know, being a reporter. Right. And you know, Jason, you've been around enough players to know that when you go from being a player to somebody who talks about players, there's a bit of a difference there. You okay. know, there's like, you always still want to be the guy on the field. You know how, how does how, how do you deal with that identity shift? And you feel well if my identity is in Christ and the one who made me, and that's my job. And what I'm doing to get paid is what I do in this world to make a living. Right. I thought that was that was that was really powerful. Once again, to hear um, to hear this these athletes, professional athletes, taking away their throne and giving the throne to the only one who deserves the throne. I mean that's. That's the tension, right? I mean,
1: as as people of this world, we so we get caught caught up and so wrapped up in our jobs. And I know from being at ESPN for many years, my identity was in being an employee of ESPN, even more than it was being a husband or a dad, much less a Christian. It was being wrapped up in my ESPN world of working there, and I see that with a lot of players, uh, athletes who are so caught up because of the fans and the media they're known as player a from this team who did this on the field and that's what they're known for forever even recently i was at uh i was in orlando florida and i was at a a star <laughs> i laughed because it's total geek world but i was at a star wars convention a celebration it's called star wars celebration and i saw and it really hit me i saw some of these people that were being glorified and cheered for and even I was doing some of the cheering because I'm a fan of of the actors and actresses who played the characters in Star Wars but their identity a lot of these actors are from something they did 40 years ago in Star Wars and so they're still known as Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and these people who played these characters from 40 years ago and hundreds of thousands of in some cases, millions of fans converge to Orlando, Florida to get their autograph and to shake their hand and to cheer for them. And so it's easy to get caught up in being known as this person. I'm always going to be known as Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, the actor is. And unfortunately, he's never going to be able to get away from that. If he isn't careful, and maybe he has, hasn't has been able to, that will become his identity you know, a football player who achieves so much success on the field, if they're not careful, that's going to become their identity. For you and me, Raymond, we both worked in the media for a long time. There were probably times for yourself as well, that you struggled with the identity of being the person who does this for a living, because we spend 40 hours a week, we spend a large amount of time, in many cases, more than 40 hours a week, working in our jobs. And if we're not rooted and grounded in the and the, and the love and the faith and the, the salvation and what Jesus did for us, then it's easy to get lost in that identity, isn't it?
3: It is, especially like in startup culture. When I was in the startup culture in Silicon Valley, it's all about who's the founder, who's the CEO, what are you doing? It's this role that you're playing, and then you start to become part of that, that culture. You know, and it's—I find it so much easier as a Christian to give that identity to Christ— than to try to own it myself, because it's hard to be about me. It's hard to be about you. The world can then blow you. Either way, you can be swayed so far because you're never really you. You're always what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and our and, identity uh, should never be found in who what we do. It should be found in who we are. And we're exactly we're children of Christ. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so so beautiful to look at that and to hear. These two brothers living that way and living out there, Jim. In fact, I think Emmanuel might have a job with us soon. Jason, I mean, we think we should talk to him about maybe... <laughs> down well, the road. ESPN,
1: unfortunately, wrapped him up in a contract, but maybe we can get him. Who knows? You know? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to go
3: there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've already done that once. That's true, Raymond. We did, and uh, you make a great point. It's probably a good idea not to go there anymore. But we do appreciate having Emmanuel and Sam Acho join us on the Sports Spectrum podcast. They were great. And uh, we look forward to talking with them again. On the next Sports Spectrum podcast, our guest is TNT's Inside the NBA host, Ernie Johnson. Ernie is awesome. He's got a great story. I cannot wait for you guys to hear uh, everything that this man has gone through. I mean, from cancer to working with Charles Barkley every day, to writing a new book, to adopting four kids, to working in outreach programs, and just his faith journey and hearing about why and how he came to accept Christ into his life as his Savior. It's just a great story. I can't wait for you to hear Ernie Johnson next time on the podcast. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter at sports underscore spectrum. You can tweet directly at me, at Jason Romano. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can download the podcast on iTunes, leave a review, listen to the show, share it with others through social media. We just appreciate getting the word out. Obviously, our goal here is simply to make the name of Jesus known to as many people through this podcast, and, and you can help be a part of that. So we appreciate you joining us and hanging out with us. We will see you next time on the Sports Specter Podcast.